of uh, North America right now. Hi, it's uh, Alan Mitchell. I'm joined by Daniel Nugent Bowman, who is down uh, at the rink, just having uh, spent some time with Ken Holland and watching Oilers practice. Daniel, how are you? I'm well, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm just watching, you know, an Oil King player skate around with an assistant coach. Uh, a little bit different than what we saw this morning uh, with with the big club here, which I'm sure will be the vast majority of the conversation, obviously. Uh, but there was lots going on at the rink with with Ken Holland speaking and um, a certain superstar captain back on the ice with his teammates. So lots going on here today. And and J- Jonathan Willis is in Bakersfield watching a a Condors team that. Uh, uh, the, do they have like 20 guys that they can put on the ice right now, John? They're able to fill out a full lineup, but it's a, it's a near-run thing, so I, I commiserated with the, the coaches and the players about uh, not not having all the talent here because I, I felt I felt very... I feel like them and I are in, in very much the same boat. Well, the, and, and I want you to know I did not light any candles. The Evan Bouchard recall is just bad damn luck, and I, I feel bad because I think that's one of the reasons you were headed down there, right? Well, I think the fact that you and I talked about it and uh, you said you were going to try and keep him down here for me and then it, it went the other way, I, I'm blaming this on you, Al. This is well, this is all your fault. There's no surprise there, none whatsoever. Uh, let's let's do this. We, we have some uh, clips from Ken Holland, so maybe we've got four of them, so maybe we'll run and then we'll talk about them afterwards because I think this is uh, was a very revealing day for lots of different reasons, uh, injury talk and that sort of things. Uh, so so let's start here, though. Uh, Ken Holland, during today's media avail, talked about trading the first-round pick. Well, certainly in a rental. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna trade a first round pick in a rental. Is cap space your biggest concern? Cap space is a concern. Yeah, given where we are with all the. Um, well, I don't. Know if it's a concern. Certainly, the well, what's gone on with the injuries. You know, if you don't put people on LTI, they're on the cap. So we're not. You know, there's. You know, we're not. You know, Connor's not going on LTI. Clef's not going on LTI. Cass is. He's obviously suspended. He's on our roster. So. Uh, all those things do uh, impact, to a degree, what we're able to do. I'll maybe go to you first, Daniel. Well, to me, it's, it comes as a little surprise. I mean, he's been hesitant, uh, you know, through private conversations with myself, obviously a lot of other media members, that that first-round pick, uh, he did not want that in, in play. And, and he basically, you know, he opened the door a little bit to it, uh, but basically said that, you know, for a rental, it's off limits. And, and I think that's a smart decision. Um, you know, it's very, from what I understand, a very deep draft. Uh, the Oilers, uh, at this point, would be kind of picking middle of the first round. You could probably get a pretty pretty good player in that uh, regard. Um, so you don't want to give away, uh, you know, a, a first-round pick for somebody that will uh, be around for 20 games. And, you know, with this team... Um, the door is open in the Pacific. There's no question about that. They get in the playoffs. Uh, they could go anywhere from losing in the first round to making the conference final or perhaps further. So, um, But, again, I, I don't think you want to take on a player um, a, a, that is strictly a rental uh, for, for 20 games and then who knows what in the playoffs. So uh, I think Holland kind of understands that. He's been through that with, with Detroit uh, on teams that were f- way further along uh, in their development path than the Oilers are right now. Uh, this team is only supposed to be getting better and should be getting better in subsequent years. So you don't want to give away uh, a, a, you know, a cost-controlled uh, player that could help you in the future as well in that first-round pick. 
Well, imagine what a shame it would be if they gave away a talent like, say, you know, somebody picked in the middle of the first round like Matthew Barzell for a player who didn't end up having a long-term future in Edmonton. That would be a that would be a real tragedy, wouldn't it? Uh, well, if he, if that ever happened, John, it would be it would be uh, very difficult. You talk. I think it was you on Twitter, John, who talked about the idea that that getting that you know, trading the first round pick isn't a crime if you get a. And, and I think it was Blake Coleman that you were talking about, and I know you were talking to Dom as well on an earlier podcast about the idea of it, it's not the trading of the first round pick; it's that you have to get real value under control back, right? That's exactly right. Uh, like to me, I, I think the first round pick is is absolutely an asset that you can go to market with if you're getting the return and like you look at what Pittsburgh did that that's a deal that if it had been you know available to Edmonton you could you could think about you look at the Coleman trade that I mean obviously they they ended up getting outbid there but that's something you could think about because those are players who are going to help you in 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 Pittsburgh's case with Jason Zucker for a very long time and in Tampa Bay's case with Coleman for two two playoff runs but he's also dirt dirt cheap so if you're in cap trouble, he he has some additional value, which I you know as Daniel's very ably demonstrated today, the Oilers have some issues with that. So th- those are the sorts of moves where you can move a first round pick. Trading it for somebody who's going to walk at the end of the year is just it, it strikes me as really poor asset management. And that's why I think the you know a Coleman move would have made sense for for the Oilers because um, you know as as John mentioned and I, I wrote about this today is they're really cap uh, they're struck uh, pretty tight to the cap uh, they also uh, you know I was told by you know a pretty well-placed source that they do not want to go over the cap with these overages uh mike smith uh ethan bear has a very small uh bonus that uh he's he's already hit uh and uh there's you know yamamoto if he scores 11 more goals in the next uh, 22 games which seems like a very high mark for him um but he's he's basically at that would be at the pace he's basically scoring at right now uh he'd be due for another 215 uh plus thousand dollar uh bonus and uh that would go you know it doesn't impact the cap for this year but it would next so uh they they're almost in the position now where ideally they would be shedding salary not adding to it but a player like coleman with as john illustrated you know dirt cheap i think 1.8 million dollars another year on the contract would have been great the problem is the owners don't have a lot in terms of of, of high priced assets they don't have somebody like a nolan foot that they were get uh you know willing to give away and uh, thus were i i would assume outbid uh, by Tampa Bay. So uh, if you can get somebody like that uh, for the first rounder, that's that's plausible. It, it seems to make a little bit more sense than obviously just giving that player, uh, you know, that pick away rather uh, for a player that's here for 20 games. Dan, Dan, your article was interesting to me because you had a list of, of some players that, that, you know, maybe the Oilers would look at offloading uh, to, to ease the cap. And, and, you know, I mean, the usual suspects, Brandon Manning, all the players that you you mentioned who maybe have their contracts buried, but uh, I believe he had Matt Benning and Jajar Kara on there, and I, you know, th- that to me is interesting because it it sets up the idea, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but it sets up the idea of maybe a, a trade out in one area to bring back a player in another. Do you think that's that's plausible? Well, just just a small correction. I didn't have Matt Benning on, but I did have Kara. Okay. Uh, just because, I mean, Kara is a guy who's been scratched a bit. Um, you know, is a player that I believe, you know, he's regularly leaves you wanting more. He has had a few good games lately and, and a few kind of earlier in the year, but generally speaking, uh, doesn't have, uh, you know, it uh, doesn't kind of bring uh, something to the table on a consistent basis. So my the point I was trying to make with with listing those players is they need to get they they need to give up 
something. They need to clear up cap room. But for the vast majority of those guys that I listed as, as even remote possibilities, um, the Oilers are like going to have to sweeten the pot, you would think, to get rid of some of these guys. Like, uh, Not too many people are going to uh, want to take Brandon Manning off their hands. Uh, obviously, his, him, his cap uh, hit being in the minors, him being in the minors rather, uh, you know, the Oilers wouldn't be getting as much of a cap, uh, you know, savings uh, on moving that contract right now. Um, and a player even like Sam Gagne, who is very well respected in the dressing room, really well liked, wants to be an Oiler, uh, but for more than three million dollars is is obviously you know overpaid. It goes without saying. And then you look at some of the other guys I, I did list. I mean, logically, everyone has talked about defenseman um, Chris Russell and and um, and Adam Larson as guys that could be moved. Uh, you know, obviously for a forward, but they're guys you. Uh, you know, at $4 million, uh, if you're trying to bring in a, a bigger price forward, you're, you're not really saving a lot, number one. And number two, you you know, Russell's hurt. Uh, but you also kind of need these defensemen right now, too. Uh, Russell's hurt. Kleppbaum's hurt still. Uh, you know, there seems to be, uh, you know, some light on the horizon that they will come back sooner than later. But you're not really in a position uh, with all these guys hurt right now um, to be able to move these guys. So they're kind of in a bit of a quandary right now and, and why I don't think they'll be making a much of a big move uh, by Monday afternoon. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the sort of the state of the defense because Adam Larson to me is a really intriguing guy in terms of where he is for the team this year. If you trade him right now, as opposed to in the summer, looking at what the market for defensemen is when, you know, you're going to be able to rent him for two years, you're going to get a real significant return for a guy like that. So you could, you, you know, you could uh, kill two birds with one stone, theoretically. But the problem is that you, like, Larson's game to me has really come around over the last month and a half or so. And I, I think you damage your ability to win in the present. You'd be rolling the dice in a major way on, on guys like Matt Benning and Evan Bouchard being being able to step in on the right side. So by keeping him now, you're... you're uh, you're, you're sacrificing the opportunity to trade him for, you know, a Jacob Muzzin-like package last year where, where L.A. fared very well in terms of what they got for him. But at the same time, you're, you know, you're also trying to win right now. So it's one of those situations where in not making a move there, it's almost like they're adding. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's one of those things where you have to decide what you're doing at the deadline. And if, you, if you're trying to win now, which I think they should be to some extent, and if you're trying to be careful with your assets and, and, and maximize return, which they should be to some extent, like you, you can see why they would want to keep a guy like Larson if they, if they think they have a chance to come out of the Pacific this year, which you know, I think everybody would agree that they do. And if we're talking about kind of asset management, uh, you know, there is, uh, John had mentioned Evan Bouchard, and, and uh, because of kind of a, a, an odd, you know, clause or loophole or whatnot in, in the collective bargaining agreement, uh, because of when he signed his contract, you know, he is slide eligible. And, you know, if they can keep him out of the lineup for uh, fewer than 10 games, uh, you know, his, his entry-level deal will slide another year. So I'm told that that is ideally what they want to do, you know, another injury or something crazy, and, and he will have to play, but they really don't want to see him play in, in you know, 10 of these last 20 two games uh to have that contract the first year of that entry level deal burn so um it's yeah it's a it's a bit of a of a pickle i think that they're in right now but um you know they're, they're you know, it sounds like there there are some guys that are that are kind of close to, to coming back and yeah that, that should you know at least help a little bit in the coming coming weeks here i think that the 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 
the obvious time for Larson, if you feel like Bouchard is ready, which, you know, we assume he's damn close, uh, to, to step into a top six role, then Larson's probably, you know, the, the, the off ramp is probably more likely this summer. That's, that's, that's how I, I kind of see things. Uh, Holland also said, uh, today, we talked a little bit about, uh, trades within division. This was a really interesting quote. Uh, and I think does give us some insight into what his thinking is heading into the weekend. I did that in my early years as a manager, you know, there was us Dallas and Colorado and, and, and it started, you know, sometimes it helps quite often. It doesn't help. So I think early in my career as a manager, yes, not as much today. I worry more about our team. You know, I can't manage against what other teams are doing. Um, I got to factor in the prices. What are we looking for? What do I think is going to make us deeper or better? And at what cost? You know, the day I took the job, I got the press conference. I think I said to everybody, my hope was that we were going to hit March the 1st and we were going to be playing important games. Uh, Competing for a playoff spot and that that we could play our way in. Um, We're probably a little bit above that. Uh, But... but a little bit, you know, what do we, you can say we're first place in the division. We're also getting five points from being out. So it speaks to the parity in the league. How has it affected my thinking? You know, I've been, I was a, I was a seller in Detroit the last three years. And I was a, a you know, buyer at the deadline for many years in Detroit. He worked the phones. Um, we'll see. Will I see what I like, would I like to do something? Yeah, you'd like to do something to, to, to pitch in. We'll, we'll see. Daniel, I'll ask you your reaction to this. First, you were there. You you kind of got a feel for the room. That was, I thought, an interesting quote from from Ken Holland because it does maybe inform what we might see moving forward and, and the fact that he may be more patient than some people believe. Yeah, and that that kind of is not a you know a surprise to me. Just in my you know still fairly limited dealings with with Ken Holland since he's you know been here the last you know nine months or so. Uh, but he's a very patient guy. He's also very comfortable in, in his own skin. Uh, you know, being the, the general manager for as long as he has uh, you know closing in on on, um, on twenty five years, twenty three years, I guess now. Uh, he he knows kind of what uh, what you know it's good for his team or at least he, he he believes he knows what's what's good for his team um so he's not one to i don't think to react uh to what other teams are doing even if they're close close uh close to him uh vancouver was also pretty interesting in the sense that it was almost uh not really adding to their group because brock besser went down and uh, adding tyler to foley is, is certainly i don't think quite the replacement of brock besser but uh, at least kind of gives them uh, somewhat of a replacement in that in that lineup. So I don't know how much stronger Vancouver necessarily got with that trade. Uh, uh, Vegas getting Alec Martinez was a nice nice uh, you know added you know mid mid to, to depth kind of add on on defense. Uh, but I don't think either one of those trades is one where you know the, you know Taylor Hall type variety that that um, Arizona had that you would even think about reacting to in a, in a meaningful manner. So I wasn't very surprised by that answer, but I thought it was a very interesting um, kind of response as to how he actually thinks and, and goes about his business it, it makes sense like if you I, I kind of look at this through two different lenses right now we're seeing with Connor McDavid being gone and the team playing very well the relatively small impact of a single player and I mean McDavid has more impact on the on ice results than any any other guy in the league I think and yet the Oilers are still capable of, of winning without him this season, which which says something about, you know, how much one player moves the needle. And, and I think that's, um, 
that effect becomes greater when you look at it in terms of the the trade deadline where you have a guy coming to a new team new city and often there's a learning curve and and even if he is a really high-end talent the results are muted uh, daniel mentions taylor hall you look at what happened he got to arizona arizona's goal starting goalie darcy kemper who was at the point in the vesna conversation um you know all of that that gain was sort of undone and th- then the second thing is you don't know who you're going to face in the playoffs you the the Pacific Division is so wide open you could be anywhere uh, it's not impossible that the Oilers you know lose a couple of games and suddenly they're in a wild card spot and flipping over to the Central and so gearing up to to meet a specific team um I, I don't think it's it's sensible as a strategy so it, it makes sense you you look at your group you don't worry too much about what the other 30 teams are doing because uh, any any single move they make um, whether or not you play them, it's it's not likely to be uh, decisive. The the one big trade acquisition, and this is our next uh, clip from Ken Holland, uh, is is Connor McDavid, whose uh, timeline looks uh, uh, better and better, uh, and he made some comments uh, uh, at the media veil about Connor McDavid and his status. Uh, he feels good. He went out by himself this morning. I think he's going to go out with the team here for a little bit today. So. Um... I, I talked to him briefly yesterday. I know he's he's doing good. Do you have a timeline on when you think he might be back? No, I know he's I know I know he's going to go on the road trip with us to California. Um, so he's doing good. I don't have any timeline, but but he's doing very good, and I don't think he's that far away. The team went three one and one without him. Did that surprise you a little bit? Does it kind of change your impression of what you have here? Uh, did it? No, I don't think it surprised me. I think our team all year long, you know, I think the coaching staff, Dave Tippett, has, has instilled a, um, you know, they, they come to work every day, they check, they uh, they compete. Um, we're, we, um, the guys dig in, and obviously with Connor out, it was a great opportunity. Leon stepped up and, and Nuge and that, that line with Yamo, but, uh, you know, two big goals out of uh, Archibald in uh, Seoul. I'm not surprised. I think, uh, you know, when you get injuries, it's an opportunity for other people. They're waiting for their chance to play more minutes and have a bigger role. And we thought we had good depth. Um, you know, the, certainly uh, yeah, we've talked about Yamo coming up. The young players have played good. You, last night, uh, uh, Jones played 18 minutes in the top four. Lagason played five minutes on the penalty kill against one of the top power play teams in the league. So I think we've got better depth than... Uh, that I think maybe maybe a lot of people thought. You know, Daniel, I think that that you know, based on the 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 video and the special that we saw, the documentary that we saw, we there's sort of an expectation that McDavid will, if you say three weeks, maybe five six days, because he's something of a miracle. But uh, it does sound like this this I'm, I don't want to you know be too strong on this, but it sounds like he may play before people originally thought he would. Yeah, I mean, with McDavid, you, you never really know. Uh, that that documentary kind of has led to a lot of spect- uh, skepticism, rather, that, you know, as we've talked about. But I, there is obviously no indication that this injury was anywhere near as bad as the last one. Um, I think the time in Toronto, he, you know, and talking to, to McDavid, as we all did uh, there after, after practice, it seemed to do him some, some good. Um, 
um, you know, he, all indications are that he will join the team on this upcoming trip. And also Dave Tippett and McDavid himself kind of left the door open to him possibly even playing Friday. So, um, you know, playing Friday would, would be just over a week and a half or, you know, uh, past, you know, the, the talk on Monday would be two weeks uh, minus a day from when he was actually hurt in the Nashville game. So, um, it, it you know, things kind of line up. It's obviously a little bit earlier based on the timeline Ken Holland provided uh, last Monday. Um, but, um, you know, uh, they've done really well in his absence. Uh, you know, I, I think Tampa was probably their, their worst game. They got shelled early in the game, but hung on and, and played all right throughout the rest of the game. And, and they... You know, after a kind of a crummy first period against Boston, I thought they, they played pretty well too. Uh, you know, winning winning three of five games and getting seven of a possible ten points without him is great. And uh, if they can't add much or anything at the deadline, you're kind of getting a, a player back that could be obviously better than any de- deadline uh, acquisition, even though he was already on the roster, of course. But uh, things are, are seemingly looking good about uh, Connor McDavid and his status for returning to the lineup pretty soon. Well, I, I don't think it should be like if we think about it. I don't. I don't think it's that surprising because, in, in the wake of of what happened with McDavid's injury this summer, what are the what is the Oilers' incentive when they're when they're um, releasing information to the public? While they're they're going to be super cautious because they don't want to look like they're being misleading. And if you're if you're on our side of it, you're looking at them and you're going, hmm, I don't know if I trust you after last time. I'm I'm going to take whatever you say with a grain of salt. So you end up with a situation where the Oilers have every incentive to, to under promise and, and everybody's expectations and, and or their suspicions are, are elevated. So for him to come back earlier than, than expected, you know, when you think about it from that perspective, maybe it's not that surprising. The, the thing that I, that I am, am interested in is the, the three one and one away from McDavid, uh, I, I think that there was a sense of man, just survive this thing, and as it turned out, they they did better than that. And I, I, I wonder, and this is one of those things where you can't quantify it, but I I wonder if not that you would ever say this is a blessing in disguise, but I I wonder if, and I'll go around and start with Daniel. Uh, I just I wonder if this ends up benefiting them because there's a little more belief and and maybe guys had, were asked to stretch a little bit and prove capable of it. I'm thinking of Archibald and others. Do you think there's maybe a germ of an idea there? Yeah, sure. I mean, it also helps uh, for the um, and this obviously goes. Uh, beyond McDavid, but with all of the injuries that they've had, and, and obviously Cassian being suspended, you know they've gotten in more of a look at, at Tyler Benson, who uh, Dave Tippett was very effusive in his praise uh, after the Florida game, and then had him up there with with uh, Shane and Archibald uh, for more minutes and got his first point in, in Carolina. Um, you know, Lagason played a lot on the PK against uh, against Boston last night. Um, you know they're getting a chance to see some of these guys that they they wouldn't have otherwise and, and you know uh, not quite the same degree but Caleb Jones is another because you know he got to play top four minutes played 18 minutes last night and uh, Dave Tibbett was was pretty pleased with how he came along in that game so um Shea and Archibald are two other guys uh that you mentioned uh and, and them getting a lot more ice time I think you know this is as well as as they played I mean obviously they've been um, you know, Salbert's on the penalty kill all year, the very, very good uh, Oilers penalty kill, uh, but they're with a little bit more ice time and responsibility. They're they're playing well, and that and that helps because you're going to need those guys should they make the playoffs and um, to to get 
to kind of know that they can do a few other things and, and give them a little confidence is is uh, not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, I, I'm I'm skeptical as to how much you can really read in the in the grand scheme of things from a five game segment. Like, I, I remember Pat Quinn's Oilers starting the year seven four and one or something. You you can get away with a lot for a while, especially if you're getting the goaltending, which they've been getting, and and that's been sort of up and down this year. And and right now it's up. You combine it with that second line. You combine it with some guys um, doing well in elevated roles. And and you end up with a really great record, and and it, I mean it's nothing but good news for the Oilers. But I I don't know if I were at least in Ken Holland's shoes. I think if you're part of the team, obviously you look at this and you go, you know what, this is this is affirming. This this says something about us. But I think if you're Ken Holland, you you maybe want to look at it with more of a jaded eye. Yeah, and, and to be clear, you probably do want McDavid and and uh, and Clefbaum back in your lineup. Um, so yeah, you you, you don't know. flip McDavid for a package now. <laughs> yes, so you you want you know it's good that uh, those guys have stepped up and and all that, but you know it should in theory help make the team a little bit better and more well rounded. But you you certainly want uh, you know McDavid and and Clefbaum, uh, you know primarily, and then guys like Cassie and Neil etc. Uh, to to kind of come back and be part of this team for sure. I think you also know a little bit more about what your your players can do in different situations. I'm thinking of Archibald uh, and others who who really did uh, during this uh, most most recent run here. Uh, you know, show themselves to be capable maybe in some some other areas. And this is a team they're still learning about. Archibald isn't that uh, established as an Oiler. the The other clip that and this was when when I was live on the radio. Uh, making notes on this and then watching the reaction from the the fan base on the text line. Uh, This was the one, the the final clip we're going to play here from Ken Holland. This is the one that got most reaction. It was a question about Jessel Pogliarvi and whether or not he was in play. No, I haven't really, I haven't really, uh, I haven't really shopped him and no one's really asked. Let me ask you, Daniel, when when that comment came out, were there any raised eyebrows or, or any reaction from the gathered throng? Uh, not not particularly I mean we, <laughs> we chatted after a few of us but to me it, it, it was kind of a, a shot a little bit at, at Pooley RV and his agent to say that um, we're under we're still not all that um, uh, you know <laughs> we, we don't have a lot of um, need or whatnot to, to trade you right now there's not a lot of other teams that are that are interested and um, you know you're don't don't think we're <laughs> we're we'll hang on to you for a little bit longer but um it, it it kind of goes to what we've talked about a lot where uh the market right now is very limited for for Pooley rv because um he really only uh has interest um shouldn't say only but primarily has interest from teams that are out of the playoffs which you know you can count on on one hand maybe two at this point of the season so um Again, and, and to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, the um, dilemma with having Pooley RV as the the main, uh, you know, uh, part of a trade package is he has no salary right now. So if you're trying to clear up salary uh, and, and um, you know, in terms of adding a guy, yeah, Pooley RV uh, with, an, with no contract doesn't have anything. So uh, he'd be kind of not a throw-in, but part of the deal rather than the principal, you know, part of the deal. So uh, that that also makes it a little bit more um, troublesome or difficult, I guess, to to trade him right now. Well, and the other thing too is like you you definitely need the right fit for Pulley RV, and if you look at the teams that are out of the playoffs, 
it, it's not necessarily the the group of teams that have been rumored to potentially have had in, have interest in him over the course of the year. I mean, the most active seller right now is the Los Angeles Kings, and I I cannot under any circumstances <laughs> imagine L.A. saying, "Hmm, let's get Todd McClellan, yes, they pull Yarvi, we'll get the band back together." So it you, you do have a very limited market. He's and, and I mean, like he's basically. He's almost like a junior prospect right now in terms of, of how he functions in a trade because he, he's nothing to you in the present. He has, he has no, no relevance at all through the end of the year. Uh, a lot of people, um, I know Al, you've said this repeatedly, have said that a, a draft day trade makes more sense than a deadline day deal. To me, like the only way Pulley really moves at the deadline is if you're looking at a big package and, and you're hemming and hawing over, uh, you need a, to include a significant piece, but the Oilers don't want to include another draft pick. You know, like maybe maybe they don't want to include another second round pick or something. That's where Pulley gets interesting, but he's like the the final element in a in a in a trade trade position to me. And and again, it's going to really depend on who they're dealing with. And Holland has always said that he wants to get something kind of younger back for Pooley RV. So, um, yeah, it, it, to me, it doesn't really uh, doesn't really jive right now. The trading him and, and the timeline and, and everything, you, you know, June makes a lot more sense. But you know, you've got me thinking about this, John. You got me thinking about uh, you know Pooley RV and McClellan. You don't think a nice walk on the beach and a margarita they can hash out all their their problems and and, and uh, try a try a kind of reunion there. Just Todd Yessie and the translator. <laughs> you know, and he was, McLeod was straightforward from the beginning. The first year Pugliarvi was here, he basically said, well, we're we're a week away and he's not ready. And, and I, I just, I, I, the GM wanted him there. The, the coach never seemed comfortable. It was a bad mix. And that has nothing to do with the player. That's all with uh, coaching and management. One thing that I did notice at the press conference that I wanted to mention, because I think it is important, uh, Holland, he he gave the feeling I felt that he had uh, a firm grasp on what was available. He said he talked to I think he said fifteen to twenty teams. Uh, he was very aware of what might be moved. I, I've always in the past there are times, and I'll use Ryan Smith as an example, where uh, after he was traded at the deadline by Kevin Lowe, uh, other NHL teams were like, we we would have given a better package. We didn't realize Ryan Smith was available. I, I like at least uh, on the surface the idea that that you know it sounds like Ken Holland is on the phone a lot and, and talking a lot and finding out what's available and out there. And I and I think sometimes. You know, the key to, to being able to make a, a a good decision is having all the facts available to you on the table. And it sounds like Holland, at least at some level, is on a fact-finding mission. No matter what his plans are, he wants to know what's out there and what's available. Yeah, well, I have little doubt of that, just <laughs> knowing how much he likes talking to people and... Uh... Uh, you know how how uh, you know chatty he is around everyone. I, I'm sure he's making a lot of calls. Uh, saw him on the trip making a couple calls, uh, walking around. So I'm sure he, I have little doubt he's on the phone and, and kind of knows what's up, uh, what he's able or what you know what he'll want to do is another conversation um, as we've had. But but I have little doubt that that he'll know kind of what's what's going on uh, by the end of the day on Monday. John. You've been to a Bakersfield Condors practice. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and tell us what you found out on your, your fact-finding message, your, your intel that you've <laughs> uncovered so far. Yeah, I, I got into Bakersfield last night, went to the practice this morning. Um, it's 
it, it's it's getting pretty bare here. I, the the Condor's second line right now. I mean, Granlin made it down, so their second line right now is McLeod, Maximov, and and Jacob Stuckel. So that that should give everybody an idea of how how thin they are up front at the moment. Uh, the defense is still in relatively good shape. It sounds like Samarukov's going to switch over to the right side here for these weekend games, but that's still um, TBD. It's it's a group that's really really struggling right now just because i mean they've they've had injury difficulties in net all year um they've had injury difficulties all over the place all year but but in net particularly their goaltending has been thrown into it and and now both the forwards and the defense have been you know i I think jay woodcroft told me today he's like you know we could could do an interview over the phone and you can go to edmonton and watch my team play (laughs) (laughs) so that's that right now but what it does the upside of it is that it gives them a chance as we've seen with the Oilers with all their absences to try players higher up the lineup and see what they have. And, and one of the things Woodcroft said to me was that, you know, it's so important to keep an open mind and because you're always learning about these guys, you're always trying to find out what they can do. So in that respect, every recall represents an opportunity for, for guys like McLeod, guys like Maximov, guys like Samarukov to, to stretch beyond the comfort zone um, and, and to get more minutes. And, and that's all part of the, the process as a first year pro in the American Hockey League. Yeah, Holland was asked about about Bakersfield, and I think he realizes that it, it's going to be a pretty tough uh, climb for them to, to to be able to make the playoffs this year. But you know, I think he really is thrilled with the job that Jay Woodcroft and his coaching staff have done because you look at how many guys that the Oilers have have needed and, and are on the lineup right now, or in the lineup right now rather. Uh, and especially you look at the, the top and and Kyler Yamamoto's like averaging a point a game, albeit with, with two very good players. But he's he's a very you know big part of that. That. Um, you know Tyler Benson obviously getting um, getting more and more comfortable I think as the, as the time goes on uh, Legison getting more minutes uh, Caleb Jones as we've talked about uh, basically been here for from a lot of the, a large portion of the year and, and getting uh, a lot of ice time in the absence of, of Russell and and um, and Clefbaum uh, and even throw Ethan Barron to that mix who uh, you know he's obviously been up here all year um, but you know a lot of what he's learned before coming here, as you know, say for junior hockey, has come through uh, through Bakersfield. So uh, I don't know where the Oilers would be without about without Caleb Jones or sorry without Ethan Bear right now because of how well he's played and and how you know important those minutes uh, have been to the defense. He's you know played the third most of any defenseman this year. So um, I you know it's been a tough season for uh, for the for the Condors, but you know their their mark is being made here in Edmonton. It's been, I would say, the the early part of the century when guys like Horkoff and and he didn't spend much time down there, but Pisani and uh, Daniel Cleary, uh, Jason Chimera, uh, that group. It's been a long time. Uh, by the way, Michael Russo welcomes former Oiler Devin Dubnik and his dad Barry from Straight to the Source uh, at theAthletic.com on the podcast this week. There's a former guy who played actually, I believe, in Bakersfield at the ECHL on his way up to the uh, AHL with the Edmonton Oilers. John, I, I, I had a question for you about the Condors because um, I've got one of those memories that I, I don't remember where my keys are. I don't really remember my phone number. But I do remember Bo Sterrett, and I believe he might have been lined up as center on the fourth line today for the Condors. Is that correct? Uh, that, that's what it looked like in, in rushes today, yes. Uh, 
I got I got two big questions from people as they were striving to figure out who the names were when I tweeted this out. And and the one was, is that Angelo Esposito centering the third line? And, and the second was, why is the goalie centering the fourth line? So, yes, that that is that is Bo Sterrett. And uh, um, don't don't feel too bad about the phone numbers, Al. I, I don't know any phone numbers, so. <laughs> I, I, I don't think anybody under the age of 35 knows any phone you numbers. You just click the button, right? Yeah. That's that's exactly it. Uh, once it's dialed into the the uh, the Rolodex in the phone, everybody's everybody's good to go. Are, are you enjoying the weather down there? Is you getting any wine or anything? Or <laughs> well, that, that's the upside. There's there's no Evan Bouchard, but it is hot, and that, that's a that's a that's a welcome change from. Uh, from uh being up north and um it, it's it's gonna be fun i've got five five games and six days ahead of me i'm gonna watch two condors games this weekend and then three oilers games in four nights so this is sort of the, the calm right before the storm for me and it's it's gonna be a lot of fun it's it's gonna be good to be on the spot for the trade deadline the the one player down there that i'm very curious about and i i've watched a few uh, Bakersfield Condors games this year, uh, and he's 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 skilled and he plays on the penalty kill a little bit. But Carol Maximov is having one of those years where he's playing. Maybe the points aren't coming like he'd like to, but I, I I'm I'm very curious about how they handle him next year. I think this has been uh, a big leap for him in terms of adjustment to come from the Q to the AHL. But he he was a, a pretty premium scorer in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, uh, and and maybe with Raphael Lavoie. Uh, turning pro down there next year, I, I I wonder if his his year two in the AHL uh, sees some real uh, progress because he certainly has the he certainly has the talent level based on what he did in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Well, the the American League is a tough league, and you know anybody who doesn't doesn't believe that can go back and look at some of these very successful Oilers on the roster today. You look at Caleb Jones, you look at Ethan Bear, um, you you look at. Uh, even going back a little bit here, a guy like Tyler Pitlick, when he was a rookie pro in the American League, a lot of players have difficulty transitioning from the junior ranks to the professional ranks. Everybody is bigger and stronger and older and smarter, and it's uh, it's tough to do. The The cool thing about both uh, Maximov and, and um, Ryan McLeod is that they're, they're pretty solid defensively for young guys like normally when you have a young player come in you're worried about building up the defense but in in this case you're you're almost trying to add more offense to to two guys who are remarkably good in the defensive zone and and just defending against possession um for their age it's been a long day for both of you guys i imagine i know it has to have been uh for daniel down at the rink and and uh uh, the media veil, and then obviously the practice and everything going on there. Uh, John, they the the Condors play tomorrow night and then Saturday night. Yes, that's right. Okay, and and uh, obviously it's going to be uh, an interesting time down there, not just with the Condors, but with uh, with the Oilers and and uh, them being there. Just want to get everybody's locale for the trade deadline. Uh, I'm on the air on on the radio. Daniel, you're here in Edmonton. That's right. Yeah, I'll be here in Edmonton. Uh, John's taking the heavy lifting this time with uh, being down with the team. I think it sounds like all management's going to be down there, and that's where they'll be 
they'll be headquartered, but uh, I'll be here if there's any kind of scraps to, to pick up. I'll be, I'll be the guy. I'll just offer uh, offer one small correction just so there's no confusion. Uh, Maximoff, uh, Ontario Hockey Leaguer. Uh, he played for mostly Ni- Niagara, but nonetheless, still the, the yeah. junior ranks. But anyway, yeah, so we'll, we'll. I think it'll be an interesting day Monday, but again, I, I don't expect too much to uh, to come down the pipeline, but hey, we'll, we'll see. If it, Worst case is they're getting a bunch of guys back that maybe can can soften the blow and add a, a kind of act as trade deadline acquisitions. And, and one nice thing, it's a, it's an off day for the Oilers. They play Sunday in L.A. and then Tuesday in Anaheim. So if they, they have some freedom to make moves on, on Monday without worrying about getting guys down for the game that evening or, or trying to cobble together a, a healthy 18, four, 18 skater roster. Boys, this has been a busy day, and thank you for all your hard work. Appreciate it on both ends in Bakersfield uh, with Jonathan and obviously Daniel here uh, at Rogers. Don't forget to please rate and subscribe. Uh, the Oil Can on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash the oil can, you'll get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com. This has been the Oil Can Podcast. Uh, for Jonathan Willis and Daniel Nugent-Bowman, I'm Alan Mitchell. Thanks for tuning in. Uh-huh.